0: Good riddance 2020, here's to 2021, a shiny new year.
1: But are you, like us, feeling a bit overwhelmed and out of puff after the last 12 months?
0: There's no doubt that everyone took a bit of a battering last year, but this year it's time to pick ourselves up, give ourselves a quick slap on the butt and get out there again
1: even if it is still with a mask on and more than a metre away from everyone. And what better way to motivate us than to listen to some of the best media, marketing, communications and lifestyle professionals in the business.
0: Sharing their future plans, both for themselves and for this fantastic industry that we all find ourselves in. Join me, Susie Golding.
1: And me, Andrew Clark, every fortnight as we get up close and personal with some of our favourite people. Hello, Susie.
0: Hi, Andrew. How are you?
1: I'm okay. I'm in a very busy office today. You probably hear the sound of um, Pelican cases closing in the background as crews briskly move in and out of the equipment room.
0: Oh, I love it. It sounds like a hive of productivity.
1: It has been. It's been quite a uh, busy start to the year. And, um, you know, we're having to... um, dig back into the annals of time to dig out interviews that we didn't feature last year isn't that cool we've actually got a bank of content
0: i think it's great yeah we're, we're digging into the archives it makes us it makes me feel like we've got a real um, library
1: exactly we've got an archive of fresh content that our listener has even ever heard before so who's on this week
0: so this week andrew we have the lovely deborah langley and i've known deborah for quite a long time now at the moment she's in um the us of a um, but i know her from her time in singapore and deborah works for a company called lyra ventures and they are a fund a global fund Focused on reinventing the future of fashion.
1: You see, I, I I noted here that they they do ventures that are disrupting the fashion value chain. What the fuck does that mean?
0: Well, I'm sure she'll tell us. I'm sure she'll have a lot to say about it.
1: I'm very I'm very much looking forward to playing this interview because it was a really good fun one and. Um, I certainly learned a lot about the fashion industry.
0: Yeah, I did. I mean, there was bits and bobs that I knew just because of my interest in sustainability and my interest in fashion. Some of the insights she gave us into the direction that things like consumption's going, you know, she was talking about kids going out and doing squad shopping online, which just sounded mental to me.
1: That was an interesting thing to learn about. And I had my own... uh... I had my own pitch for her, didn't I? Which, um, which, uh, which we'll hear.
0: You did. Um, we won't say it was particularly successful, but um, it did give us all a bit of a laugh.
1: Should we jump in?
0: Yes, let's do it. Andrew, I'm delighted that this week we're talking to Deborah Langley, and I've known Deborah off and on for quite a long time since I've been in Singapore, and she's worked. All over fashion tech and retail, and is now working with Lyra Venture Capital, and they invest in technology driving forward um, fashion brands and businesses and also retail businesses, which sounds super exciting. Hi Deborah, thanks for joining us. Hello, Susie. Hello, Andrew.
1: Hi Deborah, how are you? I'm good, actually. So where are you, Deborah?
2: I am in Dallas, Texas. Ooh. Actually, I was in Boston last week, which was great in Cambridge, which I worked in Cambridge many years ago, and so it was great to revisit places I'd been to, but now I'm in Dallas.
0: Now one of your um one of the brands that you invest in has a presence in
2: Texas, right? Gosh, Susie, yes, it does. We invested earlier in the year in Neighbourhood Goods, which is a brilliant venture that's reinventing the department store. So Neighbourhood Goods offers a way for direct consumer brands to appear in in a wonderful curated environment where they can be flexible about their marketing activities, about the commercial structure, and be part of an online offline proposition. What I love about Neighborhood Goods, the the CEO, Matt Alexander, brilliant guy, he really focuses on the neighborhood. Mm. So that means you look at the profile of the people in the community and curate brands uh, into the store on that basis. So um, obviously, you know, that, that drives engagement. It drives great sell through. They have a great online presence as well. So they've been able to respond efficiently and effectively to to what's happened in the last uh, nine months
0: their concept I think is very much in tune with what's happening isn't it that people are interested in um, what's happening in their neighborhood how can they shop from smaller brands more local brands in a way we're seeing a bit of a resurgence of that so that so it's a perfect time for them really isn't it
2: Yeah, Susie, you're absolutely right. I think as a result of what's happened, there is this push towards local, simply because people feel a bit more comfortable with that. Yeah. Maybe to a bit of a lesser extent, wanting to support, you know, the community stores and people around them. Yeah. But I think that generally, you know, there's been so much change in the industry. It's kind of hard to know where to begin.
1: Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we begin in terms of you telling us a little bit about yourself, Deborah?
2: As Susie said, I'm a venture partner with Lyra Ventures, which is a fashion tech fund uh, based in Singapore. We invest globally, primarily into SaaS solutions and retail platforms, but we also look at direct to consumer brands that are doing something unique and changing the fashion value chain. Um, I also work with fashion and fashion tech startups, helping them with their brand and product positioning, international expansion. Sometimes with their funding strategies um, and most recently I've been doing that with um, the Bridge Fashion Incubator which is Southeast Asia's only incubation program to focus on fashion technology and sustainability. So we're on our third cohort and that's been super interesting, you know, really looking at how young companies can bring something new to market or, or bring a new service to a very old-fashioned value
0: chain. Yeah, I can imagine it must be fascinating because like you say, I mean, the fashion industry is as old as the hills, right? And and just seeing, I guess, the combination of a, a different younger, fresher mindset combined with what's happened over the last few months. I know when we were talking before we recorded, you talked about, you said a lovely thing about out of disaster comes innovation. And I think that's really true. And, and you know, some of the more established fashion brands, I'm sure could learn a lot from some of these young upstarts trying new ways of coming to market and growing successfully.
2: You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, essentially what happened in the industry is that we were all on this hamster wheel Mm. and the hamster wheel driven by seasonal fashion week, driven by trends emerging and fast fashion Mm. deciding, okay, we're going to, to, you know, we're going to sell into that trend. And so what happened was, you know, everything broke supply chains broke consumers stopped shopping retail stores closed we had to furlough staff we had to lay off stuff and you know so when the hamster wheel stops what happens we all fell off yeah. and then so what we've had to do with all the traditional playbook kind of out the window everybody's had to innovate and you know guess what that means a lot more Focus on technology. And if you're a brand or a retailer who hasn't been digitalizing your processes, you're really in trouble because that is the only way forward, given that we don't really know what the future looks like. I think the stat is in the last nine months, e commerce has grown six years worth. Wow. But I think people now realize that you can get pretty much anything online. And as we add new technologies that help with size and fit and how does it look on you? And can you use an avatar to kind of experiment with different ways to to clothe yourself? I think returns will come down. People will shop more. It'll be a more um, engaging experience. So yes, I mean, when all traditional paths are closed, people innovate. And, you know, we're human beings. We do that super well, despite concerns that robots might do it
1: better it's very interesting what you say i mean it's what we had a very interesting conversation with a lady called hattie trounce a few weeks ago and she was talking about exactly that how obviously there's been an explosion in e-commerce and it's it's moved you know the dial has shifted quite profoundly there but yeah what's really interesting what you're talking about is this idea of innovation have you got any really cool examples or anything that's that's amazing that you've seen that you can tell us about that maybe some people in the fashion space are doing?
2: We've seen so much innovation in the last nine months and not just things that have been built or as a response to the current situation. This is innovation that maybe started a year ago and it was a little bit slow to get traction simply because brands and retailers weren't quite there yet. They were still on the hamster wheel they didn't really have to think about changing things. They had a, maybe a, a three-year digitalization plan. So what we've seen to an extraordinary extent is the development of 3D design, virtual prototyping. So you either don't need to make a physical sample or you only make one physical sample once the 3D um, rendering is, is correct. We've seen virtual runway shows. We've seen virtual showrooms, virtual stores. The luxury brands in particular have kind of started to pay attention because they were the ones who were a little bit slow to digitalize in the first place, but they have the resources to Mm. actually do things that are really truly innovative and very very different.
0: It's really fascinating to see like what you were saying about luxury brands Deborah because I guess the big brands the luxury brands have always looked to the street for for inspiration and creativity and I think it's really lovely that they're also now looking to younger fresher brands for innovation. Yeah. And I guess that leads me on to asking you about sustainability because sustainability within the fashion industry is, is such a hot topic and a very complex topic. And I'd, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it.
2: That is the, the $65 billion <laughs> you know, word is, is complexity because you know sustainability is people, planet, profit, mm. right? Those are the three components we look at. And I think right now everybody's been talking primarily about planet, which is great. Secondarily about people, because with the breaking of supply chains, I think there's, there's there was greater awareness to the plight of the factory workers who went unpaid. But let's not forget that in order for sustainability to sustain, we have to have profit, mm. and this is the conundrum because. A lot of the amazing sustainability initiatives, whether that's materials innovation or closed loop processes, they require capital investment to scale Mm. and they need to scale in order for the unit cost to come down to make it palatable for the consumer. So while consumers, they're all about, I want to make a difference to the planet and I only want to be sustainable, they really still want value, Yeah.
0: So I think you're right, isn't it? Like also sustainability, it's a it's a super complex issue, and it's also the buzzword of the moment. You know, it is like word de jour, isn't it? And and mm-hmm. you look at some so called sustainable brands, and they all look the same, and they're all using the same language, and it does make you think like, where's the Where's the magic? Where's the creativity? Where's the sometimes weirdness of well, fashion? Wait, you wait, know? wait,
1: hold on, hold on. I've got something, right? I don't mean to hijack you, Deborah, but I've been thinking, you know, I've got something to pitch to you. you invest know, <laughs> in.
2: Oh in <laughs>
1: these fashion brands, okay? Right, so, like, I know a bunch of, like, North Korean hill tribe fisherwomen, right? And what they do is they take their nets, right, which they've recycled out of Kim Jong-un's plastic bags. And what they do is they, like, weave them into kilts not normal kilts like really small kilts so they like use their kids because they've got small fingers and they can like <laughs> they can sew them really really small but like it's like a really sustainable business and it kind of empowers women and all that and their kids would you invest in it are you in <laughs>
2: oh my god I, I suppose you're going to tell me next that your your kilts are elegant minimalist silhouette timeless pieces for that you know professional woman who like who has to go from actually she doesn't go from work to right now she goes from living room to some kitchen (laughs) let's talk about your supply chain okay so um north korea yeah that's a super democratic society (laughs) Got that, check the box, not. Using underage kids, probably working them 24-7, <laughs> check the social impact box, not. Fibres could be something, fishing net, you know, rather than be vacuumed <laughs> up by a whale It goes into a kilt. Yeah, I mean, there's so much you have to think about. And what, is there any wastage of the fibre? Is there, you know, are you using dyes that maybe pollute the planet?
1: You know what, now you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> In your role, in your job, is it something that you come across all the time, people pitching these so-called sustainable fashion labels at you? Oh, daily. Mm.
2: Yes, I think sustainability has become the buzzword, but we ask the questions. Yeah, We ask them, what does the roadmap look like from field to factory, from factory to distribution center, and then to the consumer? And often there are so many questions that they haven't paid attention to.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So all I would say to brands and retailers out there who are going to pitch, when you use the word sustainability, when you use the word ethical, be sure you can support it with the research, with the compliance certification, with actually having gone to the factory, having gone to the mill, Having seen the way things are done, yeah, and so that you really do understand whether or not you are sustainable,
0: absolutely, that's
1: really important.
0: So you've you've told us a lot about what's happening now, Deborah, and it's super exciting. If you had a crystal ball, what do you think the next couple of years are going to look like for um, the fashion industry?
2: Contrasting 2008, we now have technologies. We have AI. We have Um, 3D, we have avatar technology, we have AR, VR, we have so much that we didn't have after the last recession Mm -hmm. um, that I think we have a a very good chance of really reinventing the value chain and doing things so much better, whether that's new materials that are fully um, recyclable, whether that's developing closed loop systems Reducing the number of samples, on demand manufacturing, um, customization. All these things are now entirely doable. It's a matter mm-hmm. of assembling some of these nascent technologies, piloting them, and then scaling them. And I know that sounds uh, sort of simplistic, but that's where we come in. It, it's up to us as investors to really identify the kinds of ventures that are making a difference that can improve efficiencies and invest in those and help them grow
1: Mm. that's really fascinating i'm just interested also in the future on the kind of the consumer side i want you to help me understand this concept of squad shopping (laughs) because i understand that this is going to be one of these big things that we're going to see in the future
2: sure you want me to tell you because your daughter's then going to go do it
1: Well, well there's kind of that as well because you know she's she's you know, a bit concerned about, I don't know what squad shopping really means. And I I think that it's something that she might be engaging in, in the near future.
2: The real world analogy of squad shopping is groups of girls who go shopping together. And, you know, the the dialogue is, you try this, I know you try this, it looks better on you. And what do you think of this? And what if I pair it with that? Right? Mm -hmm. So if you can now do Mm -hmm. that in a live video on an e-commerce site, and you know there's this ongoing visual and or text exchange and you have an avatar or uh, even just a kind of an image where you're trying on clothing that is your size and you're exchanging feedback with your friends versus sending a whatsapp image right and waiting for feedback mm. then that's a great way to get immediate feedback so everything's changing and i think You know, another aspect to the whole squad shopping is live streaming. So everybody's in there participating. I think it's no accident that Burberry showed Spring Summer 21 on Twitch.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: Right? And I got up at five (laughs) to check this out. And what was hilarious were the comments. And the comments ranged from, dude, is this a new game? (laughs) To, hey, this is super cool. I don't, you know, I didn't know Burberry did this. I really like that. X, do you see that? Why do you see that? So there was all this messaging and feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was um, very prescient of of Burberry to do that. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of Mm -hmm. behavior. So, yes, I think what we're seeing looking out is a lot more ways to go to market, a lot more ways to create product. Create Mm -hmm. it in 3D, put it on a game, get a sense of engagement, where people engage. So I think there's just going to be a lot more opportunity for small brands to find communities, sticky communities, and for Mm -hmm. large brands to do things more efficiently.
1: Fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. So one thing that we ask all of our guests to do is to give us some recommendations on what they're listening to, watching and reading. So would you please tell us maybe what you're watching first? I am watching
2: My Octopus Teacher on Netflix.
0: Oh, I've heard really good things about that.
2: This filmmaker, Craig Foster, he spent a year Visiting an octopus in the kelp forests in South Africa. And he developed what I guess the web can only describe as a relationship with this octopus. And I I learned so much about what is a highly intelligent being. Mm. So intelligent that I am never eating octopus ever again. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And this relationship he built with it is just really incredible. So, yeah, so that's what I'm watching, and I, I highly recommend it.
1: Great. I've heard so much about this this film. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm very keen to see it myself.
2: Um, what am I listening to? I'm listening to um, Scott Galloway, who I love. You
1: know what? He must be one of the most popularly referenced people yeah. on yeah. our podcast. Yeah, he is. He's amazing, though. He is,
2: he, he's he is amazing. He's amazing. He's the only one to call out BS, right? And then, Susie, you might like this one because I don't know if you, I think you're a Brene Brown fan. She's just launched a podcast, uh, Dare to Lead, which is coming on the, well, actually her book was published a long time ago,
0: Mm. but
2: it's really revisiting the themes of courage and vulnerability, particularly in leadership.
0: Oh, sounds great. I'll have to check that out.
2: And then what am I reading? Okay, so about a month ago, I downloaded a book in preparation for my flight, and it's called A Crack in Creation, Gene Editing and the Unthinkable Power to Control Evolution. Wow. Right? Okay, stop. I'm looking at your face, Andrew, going, yeah, that's exactly what. Well, so Kindle recommend, uh, Amazon recommended it to me, and I don't know why, because I'm not that sort of person, published in 2017. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago, Jennifer Doudna, one of the authors, won a Nobel Prize for chemistry for her work in um, gene editing. I mean, I'm 65 pages in and it's slow because, you know, the science and the, the chemistry is, is quite – I mean, I know she's they've tried to, um, I'd say, dumb it down for people like me, <laughs> but um, I'm reading it really – slowly and carefully because it is it does raise so many
0: questions
1: that sounds fascinating
2: yeah exactly so yeah so i i do recommend it
0: yeah it sounds really interesting it sounds intense but um it feels like as you say it probably takes you a couple of years to get through it (laughs) but um it's worth spending time on it right because it's it's so so dense
1: well, that was a lovely chat. Thank you very much for joining us, Deborah.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah, thanks, Deborah. It's been great. You know, Deborah is the type of person that you just you want to sit down and have good old stories over a few glasses of red.
0: She is that absolutely and it sounded like she did have some stories to tell didn't it Andrew she was she was uh, being very discreet but hopefully when she's back in Singapore maybe we can have some of those red wine stories.
1: Absolutely and lots of lots of takeaways from what she was talking about. I think the thing that I was particularly taken by was the fact that the era of the big chains and the massive brands days are numbered perhaps and and we're in a situation now where you know smaller brands people with more sustainable ideas and 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 plans are are gaining a lot of traction right
0: yeah absolutely and when she talked about the merging of media retail and entertainment um as one sort of place that you would go to and where you could buy clothes was really fascinating and and going back to your point about small smaller brands and smaller businesses you know being able to buy something that's very individually for you but not at the cost of couture because they're using new technology um, to actually produce that product so they're using less materials and they're also not flying samples halfway around the world for you to look at so you know it, it can get to the consumer at a lower cost as well so i think there was lots to be really Positive and hopeful about for the fashion industry, even though it is one of those industries that, you know, does have a finger pointed at it all the time as being one of the worst offenders on the sustainability front.
1: Yeah, that's right, especially in that sort of world of fast fashion, right?
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was really great to um, hear uh, Deborah's insights, and of course she is at the cutting edge because of of Lyra um, and the companies that they're helping to fund, which is great.
1: And so on to our next guest. Um, we've got um, somebody very salubrious, haven't we, coming up?
0: Yes, we have. Who is it, Andrew?
1: It's Paul Harris, who is the director of Rolls-Royce Asia Pacific. I'm talking about the cars, not the engines.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I love the fact that Rolls-Royce is such a heritage brand. Um, And it'd be really interesting to hear again how they're using innovation, um, and how they're responding to you know, demands for brands to become more sustainable. And of course, again, the car industry is also one of those industries that has a finger pointed at it as well. So yeah, really, really looking forward to hearing Paul's views on that.
1: And he is a man with a really interesting story, a really interesting background as well, which we get into a little bit. Another one from our archives of fresh content. We will see you the next time. Thank you very much for listening.
0: We will indeed. Thanks so much for joining us again. See you soon.
1: Please like and subscribe. Bye.